Welcome to Dunzo. This is a podcast that explores hookups and breakups of famous lovers and friends, both real and fake, and all the discarded pop culture of yesteryear. I'm your host, Troy McKeady. Hello, you guys. It is me, Troy McKeady. Yes, your ears do not deceive you. I am here alone yet again. If you can believe it, this is my second episode in a row alone. We haven't done this in a very, very, very long time. And um, you know why. (laughs) You know exactly why I'm alone today. (laughs) Because I couldn't possibly, I couldn't possibly imagine having the conversation that you and I are about to have with another person sitting here. It just wouldn't work. It's got to be me and you. It's far too intimate of a discussion to have anybody else around. <laughs> okay, listen. So you know how I often describe this podcast as kitchen table talk? It's like us with our heels, like kind of sitting at the end of our toes and we're swinging our legs, smoking parliaments and drinking coffee. Like that's the vibe of this podcast. Today's episode truly is going to be kitchen table talk because it's a themeless episode. I genuinely, I'm just going to sit here and tell you about my experience (laughs) meeting the one and the only one, Nev Campbell. I'm going to tell you about the whole thing. I'm going to tell you about my interaction with her. I'm going to tell you how she glowed. You already know that she glowed, but I'm going to tell you how. I'm going to explain it in detail. I'm going to tell you how shiny her hair was. I'm going to tell you how white her teeth were. How stunning she was in person. What her hand felt like. Because I felt it. Okay? Alright? So we're going to just talk. And I'm also going to, like, I know that there are people listening to this episode that are new here. Um, A lot of people from Beyond the Blinds have made their way over to Dunzo, which is really exciting. Hi. And... You may not know a lot about me on my own, but I have this thing about Nev Campbell. And if you go back and uh, listen to some of my old episodes, I've done a Wild Things episode about Nev with my best friend Katie. I've done Scream episodes with my friend Jay. I have, I mean, I've talked about Nev, I've done The Craft, like, we've done it all. This woman is special to me in ways that I can't describe, but I am going to try and describe today. Um... So yeah, all that to say, like before we get started and before I tell you the story, I do want to kind of give just a little bit of a recap as to why I think Nev Campbell is such an important figure. Um, I would like to actually talk to you a little bit about Nev Campbell's blind item life. So if you are from Beyond the Blinds, like you'll recognize, you'll recognize the beats. I do want to talk about some of the, the stuff that I've read about Nev over the years that has made me really sad that I've held on to and carried around and not really spoken about because it just upsets me. Of course, nothing to do with her, really, um, but just the people around her being fucked up and rotted. And I want to tell you what it feels like to fly so close to the sun that you feel like you can touch it. Because I have. <laughs> I've been to the other side, baby, and I'm back to talk about it. 
I also don't know how long this episode's gonna be, which I know is very famous last words for me, but like, I don't know if this will be a full hour. I don't know if I can fill up an hour. I'm just gonna talk and ramble. Let's be honest. It, I should be fine, but I'm just warning you, it may be a little shorter than normal. I just wanted to tell you guys this story because I feel like after five years, you deserve it. So one really interesting conversation that Zach, Ian, and I had when we were in Texas was about Final Girls, because obviously all three of us went to that convention because we love Final Girls. If you somehow missed it, by the way, I went to this convention with my friend Zachary Patton Garcia, who's been on this show a million times, and uh, his co-host, Ian Carlos Crawford. They have a horror movie podcast together called My Bloody Judy. It's very good. I've been on it a few times. If you like horror movies, it's amazing. It's on YouTube as well, so it's visual. Like, it's it's very, very good. But anyway, so we got to Talkin, as we do, um, <laughs> during a, a moment of being day drunk about why queer people, specifically it seems like gay men, gravitate towards these final girls. And I know that some of you are not necessarily like horror movie fans, so, if you don't know, a final girl is, I mean, you could water it down and say that it's the the surviving, like, last member of a horror movie, I guess. But it means so much more to be a final girl. And when you look at the different, in quotes, final girls that we've known throughout, like, horror movie history, they're all very special and unique in different ways. When you look at people like Laurie Strode or Nancy Thompson, like, they all have qualities that make them really special and really, you know, that make people connect to them very specifically. Like, there are people who, you know, for whatever reason, have gone through life and, you know, blinkoed down into an, uh, a Laurie Strode category where they're like, that's my girl. The way she fights and the way she thinks and, like, the decisions that she made in that horror movie relate to me or whatever, you know, whoever your whoever your person may be. And I just find that to be really interesting because I think that it's almost entirely trauma-based. I think a lot of queer people look at these strong female characters and they're able to really easily place themselves in their situation. You know what I mean? When I look at, you know, a Nancy Thompson from Nightmare on Elm Street, I see this, like, very young, very spry, smart, like, cunning girl who is not taken seriously by the people around her, who is gaslit constantly, made to feel stupid, and not only, like, defeats this, like, horrible thing on her own, but she does it by trial and error, by just going through it, fucking up, making mistakes, and then doing it again, so that by the end of it, she's like a killing machine, because she's figured it out. And, like, there's something about that that feels really easy to kind of, uh, I don't know, put your trauma on or something. The other thing that I love about a final girl is that each icon truly iconic final girl has left this sort of mark on what it means to be a final girl. And typically what'll happen is like the next crop of movies that you see come out in the next decade or whatever will have taken that little be little piece of whatever that person brought to it and like incorporated it into the next iconic final girl. For example, in the first Halloween, you know, Hannah Brown and I actually talked about this. Uh, we did a Halloween episode together and we talked about the fact that in that first movie, 
everything about Laurie Strode's personality is sort of a coincidental. Like, she is a bookworm, and she's a virgin, and, you know, she's a nerd, and she would genuinely rather hang out with the kids that she's babysitting and carve pumpkins than chase Dick. And that's what her friends are out doing on Halloween. They're, they're literally, like, running all over the neighborhood trying to get fucked while she's carving pumpkins. And it's just who she is. It's not... It wasn't, like, extremely intentional. It was just her personality. And from that moment forward, like, we had this trope of the final girl is sort of a nerd. The final girl is a bookworm. The final girl doesn't have sex throughout the movie because she's a good girl. And, you know, not to say that that wasn't, like, super damaging and became this really weird, dark thing, but it's just an interesting thing to sort of examine. And you know what's funny? Like, as a little gay boy, I can remember watching movies like Terminator and Die Hard and truly being obsessed. Like, Terminator 2 is one of my favorite movies of all time. But I didn't see myself in anybody in those movies, right? I saw myself as a final girl. It was much more relatable to me to see some girl who, like, is using shit around her house to survive and, it you know, feels unseen by her, her peers and by her parents. And, you know, it's just a much more relatable experience. Now, with that being said, <laughs> Sydney Prescott is a very special, very special final girl. I put these women on a pedestal that I can't even explain. And you guys know that. Like, they are up there for me. But Sydney Prescott is a different kind of final girl for many reasons. Aside from the fact that she will get you all the way together. Sydney Prescott will fuck you up. And that on its own, being a young gay boy and seeing a strong woman like beat up boys and be resourceful and you know just being really fucking badass and like running towards what scares her instead of running away from it amazing but that's not why Sydney Prescott is the most special final girl and by the way this is just my opinion I'm not speaking for the entire horror movie community I'm just speaking for myself because there are many people who don't agree with this but in my opinion the reason that Sydney Prescott is the one and the only, if we had to remove, and I know this is a painful thing to say, cover your ears, but if we had to get rid of all final girls and we only had one left, if there was one survivor, to me, it would be Sydney Prescott. And the reason is because Sydney Prescott is the only final girl who is hyper aware of the fact that she is A, in a horror movie, and that B, that she is a final girl. Sydney Prescott knows that whether she likes it or not, the people around her view her as this like horror movie cliche final girl. So she has to live her life that way. She's got this like one step ahead of all other final girls because she, this movie is so fourth wall breaking that she knows it's like she knows she's in a movie. I also think that Sydney Prescott is the only final girl in horror movie history to have such a natural, honest, very real trauma-based progression of her personality throughout this franchise. It's so interesting to view the way Nev Campbell chooses to place Sidney Prescott throughout these movies because she's not the same in any of them. 
She's not. And that's a testament to Nev's acting, which we will talk about. <laughs> this this episode is a truly a love letter to Nev Campbell. But anyway, the fact that Sidney Prescott was given that opportunity to like learn and grow, not just in a movie, but like throughout this series. In the first movie, Sydney is obviously this very sort of naive young girl. She's never gone through this experience. And when all of these things start happening to her, the interesting thing about the way that Nev chooses to play Sydney initially is that she just sort of discovers that she has this strength, right? Like she doesn't know that she has this ability to like constantly be able to perfectly kick a man in his balls and fucking plummet him to the ground or throw a, a fucking left hook. She doesn't know that, but she's discovering it in real time. And that's really interesting, right? In Scream 2, the way that Nev chooses to play Sydney, I think is maybe the most interesting throughout the series because she hasn't really forgotten what happened in the previous film, but she's choosing to sort of move on. Like, she's choosing to, in a way, in a sort of like naive way almost, pretend it didn't happen, move on, start a new life she's out there she's like trying right she's at college like she's dating again which is major and I love that they make it a point to bring up how major that is for her that she's done the work to be able to be in what appears to be a really healthy relationship with a great guy like she's truly done the work and I think that if Scream had come out 20 years later there would be a much bigger emphasis on the mental health aspect. They don't, like, talk about it a lot, but it's just there. Like, it's just written into the fabric of who Sidney Prescott is that she deals with this trauma in a very realistic way. In Scream 3, she's completely given in to the idea that she could never be happy, right? That she shouldn't have people around her because people around her die, that she, you know, carries this darkness... And that it's best for her to go out into the fucking mountains in the desert of California with her gate and her fucking dog and her gun and just be alone. And not only is she completely alone, she's doing grief counseling as her job. Like she's chosen to make her job grief counseling for women who have been through traumatic situations. We also see in the third movie, which is like poorly written but does some really, really great work and has some really interesting stuff to say about like Hollywood and Harvey Weinstein and, and the casting couch and all of that stuff. But one thing that I think it does really well is remind you that you can't like run from your trauma, right? Even her mom, like the stuff about her mom is coming up and she's like out in the fucking desert away from everybody tortured, because you can't run from the shit that haunts you. Now, in Scream 4, Sydney is full-on Linda Hamilton. It's full T2. It is T2 Judgment Day. Like, she doesn't give a fuck. She's older. She's an adult. She's lived. You know what I mean? She's written a book. She's worked through this trauma in a very, like, adult, mature way. But at the same time, she's still Sydney fucking Prescott. And she's literally chasing the killer throughout this movie. And I always thought, even though Scream 4 is my least favorite of the franchise, don't at me. But they do a lot of really subtle work 
to show you that she has, you know, I mean, she's taken some self-defense classes, you know what I mean? She's very clearly sort of leaned into the idea that this is just going to be her life and that she can't run from it. So instead of running from it, she chases after this fucking killer the entire time. Sidney Prescott is running after this person, chasing them, trying to kill them. She just wants to put an end to it. And it, like that just makes so much sense, right? And then, of course, by the fifth movie, Sydney is just sick of the bullshit. She's not interested in the motive. She barely even cares who the killer is. She doesn't want to know anything about their backstory. She doesn't give a fuck. She knows that this person is just like jerking off to some shit that happened to her 20 something years ago. She doesn't care. She just wants them dead. And the way that she shows up, no spoilers, I'm not going to spoil anything for you, but the way that she shows up in Scream 5, just ready to fucking rumble, like to the point that she doesn't even entertain the phone calls, she just isn't in the mood. Like, yeah, it, it makes complete sense. And I just think it's really cool that the Scream franchise gave their final girl the opportunity to like develop like a real human being. Now, with that being said, none of this would mean anything if the person behind the role, Miss Nev Campbell, wasn't so incredible. None of this would mean anything, you know? Any other person playing this role, it wouldn't work. There's something about what Nev Campbell brings specifically to Sidney Prescott that feels so just like sort of lived in and real and honest and I don't know, I just, I don't even know if I have the words to kind of explain what I'm trying to say, but I do think Nev Campbell's acting has always been severely overlooked when it comes to her, not only this franchise, but to her entire career. You never really hear people talk about, literally just the gays, you never hear people talk about how incredible Nev Campbell is at acting. I mean, just generally, like, how great of an actor she is. There are so many scenes in this movie, no matter who's directing it, <laughs> there are so many scenes in this movie that sort of rely on Nev Campbell's face acting and the way that she's able to sort of, you know, have the camera pan on her face for a full, sometimes, like, two or three minutes. And it's just her emoting you know, like, it's really incredible. I can think of one scene in particular, and all the Scream fans already know what I'm about to say, but in Scream 2, when she answers the phone at the sorority house, there's a moment where she just sort of pauses, and she's, like, in her own head, and you can tell she's thinking all of this crazy shit, and, she, you know, but she's not speaking, and the camera sort of, like, in this real Hitchcock way, like, pans in on her face very slow, and you can tell, like, at that moment, she realizes, like, this is happening again, this isn't over, my friends are going to die, my boyfriend might die, he may be trying to kill me, I could die, suddenly I don't trust anybody around me, you know, she's thinking all those things, and you can see it in her face because she's so good at expressing Another acting scene from Nev Campbell that I absolutely love in this franchise, um, there's so many. I mean, obviously there's way too many to count, but a standout for me is in the third scream when the killer reveals themselves and Nev has this speech where she's like, 
you know, the person is explaining why they did it and their motive and whatever. And like, she's heard this now twice in a row. And it's always some dumb shit about like, I want to be famous. I want to make, I, this is my movie. You know what I mean? I, I will be a famous murderer, some ridiculous shit. And she's just sort of had it. And she goes on this long tirade about how, like, she's like, there's nobody to blame. Like, take some fucking responsibility for your actions. You kill people because you want to. It has nothing to do with movies or horror tropes or anything like that. You're just a fucking psycho. I can truly do it no justice. But when she says, take some fucking responsibility, and he says, fuck you, and she says, fuck you right back, that is, like, that's Nev Campbell. Like, that is Nev bringing this character to life in a way that nobody else ever could have. Now, obviously, Nev Campbell is known for much more than starring in Scream, right? She had this, like, slew of films in the 90s and 2000s that back-to-back-to-back-to-back became cultural phenomenons. And that also is something that I don't think gets talked about enough. It's not often unless you are literally somebody like Sarah Michelle Gellar or something, that you you have a whole decade of everything you do becoming a phenomenon. Like, The Craft is a phenomenon. It's not just a great movie. It's not a movie from the 90s. It's a movie that literally defines an entire generation. Wild Things, I'm going to say same thing. I would say that Wild Things is one of the best movies to come out of my youth, for sure. And, again, in some weird way, defines a generation. Was a sexual awakening for an entire generation of people. And also opened up a lot of young people's eyes to the idea that a movie could be this sort of noir, twisty, turny kind of thing. Like, that was probably one of the first movies I ever saw like that. Let us also not forget the fact that Party of Five was a massively successful television show a massively successful show that people were obsessed with and created stars nobody talks about party of five like hello that show created stars and it was good the acting was great and again was very successful Now, with all of that being said, especially the last part, (laughs) you may be asking yourself, why does it feel like Nev Campbell's career is so stuck in this specific time period? And how did she go from back to back to back to back to back, starring in these big, giant, massively successful, cultural defining projects, to then sort of not doing as much. I'm not going to say that Nev doesn't act. Nev still, she still acts. I'm very defensive of family. But, I mean, it, her career is night and day. And I want to talk about that for a second. Now, I'm going to read you a couple blind items. And if you listen to Beyond the Blinds, you know Kelly and I always say that these are alleged. I don't know if these blind items are true, but they have stuck with me very intensely throughout the years. Um, I think about them often, to be honest with you. And yeah, it, it's a weird thing because when I was meeting Nev, I had these these blind item thoughts running through my mind of like, is that true? And like this woman is so like warm and welcoming and sweet. And like, I would hate that if this, I would hate that this, um, oh, oh, <laughs> I would hate this if it is true. <laughs> okay, so this blind item is from July of 2013. 
she will talk about it now sometimes she has to be in a good mood and you have to catch her at just the right time i have known her forever and even i don't know everything there is to know she says it started off great and that she was shocked to be the focus of this guy who at the time seemed to be at the center of the universe he was a-list he was in movies he was everywhere he was in everything and people loved him and worshipped him and here he was dating her and not just dating her but romancing her and convincing her to leave the guy she was with because he was going to be next to her forever and never leave and everything he said was wonderful that was the thing though a lot was words when they started dating the whole email thing was new and cell phones were great but texting was not something you did all the time he was on sets and word would get back to her about the women he was seeing but then he would call her every night and they would talk and he would make it right. That was the thing. He was always there to make it right. When she would actually catch him cheating, he would send over huge presents. She used to be almost A-list. She trashed her career for him because he would keep telling her that they were going to get married and she should prepare. So she would turn down work during that time period and then he would cancel the wedding a month or two before just to mess with her. He told her franchises were dumb, so she walked away from one and turned down another, just because she always did what he said. They had a lot of breakups, but she would always take him back. She was the one fighting. He was always with someone else or several people, and she would have to work to get him back, and then he would hurt her again. Even after the split was finally permanent, the scars were there. It took almost a year for every year they were together for her to start feeling normal again. Normal enough to start talking about it. I know there is more, but it comes out very slow. She does enjoy the fact that his career has stalled. He has presumably dropped to B-plus list, although he usually is the lead in movies that he stars in. She was moved back up to B-minus again and has moved on. She does not know what she'll do if she runs into him. Last time she saw him, she hid in her car for an hour until she was sure he was gone. Now this is about Nev Campbell and John Cusack. Allegedly, Hollywood folklore will tell you that John Cusack was a complete and total piece of shit to Nev Campbell. Now, I'm also going to read you a follow-up blind. This one is from 2015. It says, I love this actor. Well, I love his work. No one actually loves him as a person, except for himself. He loves himself. He thinks the whole world should bow down to him because he loves himself that much. He thinks that he is the biggest star in the entire world and believes that he is the best actor in the world when he actually is lucky to even find work. The guy turned down a $10 million paycheck for a sequel because he thought he was too good for it. So what did he do instead? Nothing, because no one wants to work with him. He's been in some of the most iconic movies of all time. Yes, iconic. Some of them were small parts, but he has been in all of them. He has been the lead in a few of them too. And it was not that long ago that this actor's girlfriend finally managed to free herself from him. It was not that she broke free, but rather he thought he could do better and forced the actress to leave after damaging her for almost a decade. They were not married, but they might as well have been. When she went into the relationship, she was an A-lister. A certain genre for sure, but she could get leads in, other, in others besides that genre. He was close to A-plus list when they started dating. Immediately, he controlled her and told her what she could do and what she couldn't. She saw her career nosedive because she could never work in something bigger than what he was working in, and his career started to go down, so he pushed her down even faster and further. Forget going out. She was in the house or with him. No exceptions. 
She went from a vibrant, sexy young woman to a shell of who she was and scared of her own shadow. To see her now starting to live again is amazing. She will never be the same after a decade of verbal abuse and threats and just making her feel like she was worthless. He would do it in private and in public. In public, he would do it with that quirky little smile and make it seem like he, like she was an idiot or a klutz and then really take it out on her at home. She was terrified of him and terrified of leaving and he had convinced her that she was ugly and that I'm like gonna get angry and that it is why she was not getting any parts. The thing is, when he broke up with her, it was because he liked some 18-year-old and she begged to stay and begged to be with him. And that is how much he brainwashed her. Now, as much as I would like to believe that this isn't true, like, John Cusack does not have a great reputation for being a nice person. And he has horrific blind items. And given what happened to her career, it, it, it literally doesn't make sense. Like, it makes no sense that this person who was so bankable, I mean, can you imagine how much money, how bankable Nev Campbell was coming out of the 90s, having done The Craft and Scream and Wild Things? Like, this is a person who, like they said in The Blind Item, could easily get a lead in any movie or franchise if she wanted to at that point. And I didn't mean to turn this dark, I just... I wanted you to know that because I've always known it and people always bring up like Nev Campbell's career and like, oh, like, why doesn't she act as much as she used to and blah, blah, blah. And like, what, ha you know, what happened? And, and if this is true, it's, it's, a it's, you know, uh, I want to move on from it. I'm going to, I want to talk now about meeting Nev Campbell. We're 30 minutes in. There's the information. Do with it what you will. I'm sorry to have darked you out, but now I'm going to tell you about meeting this uh, beautiful woman. So let me just start by telling you that Zach, Ian, and I bought two kind of meet and greets. There were two different versions of the Nev Campbell meet and greet. So you could do like the selfie in front of like the Scream House background um, behind like a black curtain. I'm going to tell you all about it. And then there was also like the autograph and you could also pay extra money to get a photo during the autograph. So... Long story short, Nev Campbell made, she left with a fucking heavy bag. Like, Nev Campbell threw a literal satchel of cash over her shoulder and said, Thanks, freaks. <laughs> Bye. Um, so the first day we get to the convention, I'm very overwhelmed because I've never been to a horror movie convention. And it's always been my dream. Like, it's always been on my bucket list to go to any of them. Like, to meet any of the people. But this one in particular was Nightmare on Elm Street and Scream. Like, that was, like, the big thing there, right? And I thought that that was all that was going to be there. Like, I didn't know that there would be other movie franchises. And, yeah, so it was very overwhelming. We walk in. I kid you not. We walk into this fucking Hyatt, whatever. And the first person we see is Heather Langenkamp from Nightmare on Elm Street. She's standing a foot away from us in her glory. Her hair, all the things are there. All of her is right there. And she's just like, we didn't pay for the the Nancy, or Nancy, the Heather Langenkamp uh, meet and greet because we were hyper-focused on Nev and you have to kind of choose your time wisely and the lines are football fields long. So you have to like, you have to be smart, you know? 
But next time, ne- and there will be a next time because I'm going to go every year. It's happening. So we just kind of stood there and like stared at her for a minute, you know, because you just couldn't believe that she was right there. And like, that was really cool. Um, of course, there were like vendors and people selling stuff. So we walked through the aisles and the really crazy thing was like, as you walked through these aisles of all these like vendors, you would just sort of come across people doing their signings at their tables. So we like walked down, down, walked down the aisle and all of a sudden it's like Jamie Kennedy is just like standing there, you know, Jamie Kennedy is standing there signing things and talking to people. And it's like, holy fuck. And then you walk a couple inches further and Skeet Ulrich is like just sitting at a table signing fucking popums or whatever, pop figurines. Iconic, incredible, amazing. Couldn't believe it. And then as we make our way to the back of this room, I'm, of course, I'm a fucking idiot. I am a flighty, ditzy, dumb bitch. So it took me... A little too long to realize it. Zach and Ian, like, picked up on it immediately. I think Ian was the first person to, like, realize that she was standing there. But we saw her. We saw Nev. And if you follow me on Instagram, I posted... I I was, like, shaking. And, like, I was so nervous. And they're... You know, when you're not paying for the meet and greet, the people that work at the location, they stand there and, like, jump up and down and try and get you to not take pictures and stuff because you're not paying for them, you know? So... I snuck some, I mean, we, of course we all snuck photos and it was just so like surreal. My stomach was in fucking knots. Like Nev Campbell was standing like 10 feet away and we were honestly just staring. Like we looked psycho. We weren't moving. We weren't talking. We didn't know what to say. And it's like, at what point do you walk away from Nev Campbell? Like, how do you make the decision to say, you know what, I'm going to pivot, I'm going to heel turn and walk away from Nev Campbell? How do you choose to do that? You don't. So you just stand there and watch her like a freak. We were at a point of delusion where I watched her take a sip of the last sip of her Red Bull and then she put the can in her bag to throw it away later. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God. Boys, did you see? She she put her Red Bull can in her purse. <laughs> and Zach's like, she drinks Red Bull. I drink Red Bull. Like, we were fully just queening the fuck out and just so excited. But that was not our Nev day. So we had to, you know, be restrained and, like, calm the fuck down and just remind ourselves that the next day would be our day to meet Nev Campbell. So we ended up just, like, walking around the venue and... Um, we got to see a bunch of other really cool people. You guys know how much child play, child's play means to me. Chucky is actually like, I mean, if I was taking a lie detector test, it would tell you that Chucky is my actual favorite horror franchise. Like, we'll talk about that another day, but like Brad Dourif, the guy who plays Chucky is a really big deal to me. And we got to see him and his daughter Fiona Dourif was there. The cast of Texas Chainsaw was there. Um, one of the more iconic people people to play Jason Voorhees was there. Um, yeah, like all of that was really cool. But like the next day was like our day, right? So we go back to the hotel and we're like planning, we're planning the moment, right? Because then it's like we've we've had a taste of what this is going to be like. 
we have an idea of what the booth is going to be like and all this stuff. So we're like, what are we going to say to Nev? What do you say to Nev aside from everything? Hello? What do you say? So the whole night we're planning like what we're going to pose like, what we're going to tell her, what movie we're going to bring up. I'm like, do I just go for it and bring up Scream? Because hello, like it's Scream. But also my love for Nev Campbell doesn't stop at Scream. It doesn't begin or stop there, right? So it's like, or do I bring up Wild Things? I mean, you guys know. I'm meeting Nev. This is it. I get one opportunity. Do I bring up Wild Things? Or do I bring up Scream? Or do I bring up Party of Five? Do I go crazy and just say, hey, guess what? I love Party of Five. Or do I fully lean in to my elementary school tease the young gay boy that went to Borders Books and Music to find which books? And do I bring up the craft? What do you say when you have mere minutes to talk to a goddess, you know? So we're all panicking about what we'll say. Zach is literally contemplating going to a thrift store or whatever. I don't know where he was going to go, but he was planning on going to find like a home phone, right? Because we don't, you know, Zach loves a prop. So he was going to go find a home phone to bring. And I was like, well, if we're doing props, then that opens up a whole nother thing. If we're doing props, are we girls? Like, you know, it was really like a lot. So I had decided like halfway through the night, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do wild things. I'm going to bring up wild things. I'm going to, I'm not going to shock Nev because I'm sure I'm not the only person to bring up wild things. And there were press photos there from wild things. So I knew that people had like brought it up to her, but it feels unexpected enough that (laughs) it can, you know, it'll get things going in our friendship. You know what I mean? So we all sort of collectively decide um, after looking at pictures online of other meet and greets and like other poses that she's done, we all sort of collectively decide as like a gay Captain Planet unit that we're probably going to do wild things, right? So (laughs) the next day comes and I also tell Zach and Ian that I, and they didn't like this very much, but it played in my favor. I'm going to be honest. I feel like it played in my favor. I told Zach and Ian, and I don't want you to panic. I didn't, I didn't like, I didn't offend Nev, okay? She liked it. (laughs) I promise. But I told Zach and Ian, I'm going to bring up the forehead thing. That's me and Nev's thing. So, of course, I'm going to bring that up. Like, I'm going to tell her that she has an iconic, like, thing that she does in movies that is so beautiful in still image where her hand is on her forehead. I'm going to tell her. And Zach was like very against it. He, like they were, they were both like, that's a really weird thing to say. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to fucking go for it. I have one opportunity. I may never see this woman again. I'm going to tell her the thing. Anyway, the next day comes, we go to the convention. Okay. And again, we have two meet and greets. So The first one is the regular, just you walk up, they pull the curtain, you stand next to Nev, you walk away. It's giving very Britney in Vegas, right? So we're in line. Shit's getting real. My stomach is in knots. I'm not fully sold on what I'm going to say or not say or whatever. 
And I'm not even completely convinced that I want to talk about wild things or that, I don't know, I was just all over the place. And when we were in line, I think we were all like in our own like worlds. Like we were all just like panicked, sort of internally freaking out, whatever. So Ian went first. And the craziest thing was like, she was behind a black curtain. So like they just pull the curtain and she's just there. You have no time to prepare. You don't see her a couple seconds before. They yank a curtain and she's just staring at you with her arms open to come touch her body. I mean, it really was a lot. So Ian's in line. He goes first. I can't see what they do. I can't see anything. They are behind a curtain. And then Zach goes and I'm like, okay, like this is it. The moment is coming. I'm freaking the fuck out. And she's like, all right. And I was so scared that the girl, like, telling us to step forward, she had to, like, tell me a few times to come forward. She was like, it's okay. Come on. Like, she's feeding, like, scraps to a fucking squirrel in, like, Central Park or something. You know what I mean? I was very timid. <laughs> I was very timid to take what was from her hand. So she pulls me forward. All of a sudden, the curtain pulls and I see Nev standing there with this massive smile, ear to ear. And I walk up to her and I don't know why. Sometimes I do this when I'm nervous, but I addressed her by first and last name. So I walked up to her and I said, I said, hi, Nev Campbell. <laughs> Immediately, I was like, couldn't have been gayer. She was like, oh, it's one of these, one of the queens. Okay. So I'm like, hi, Nev Campbell. And I put my arm around her and she was like laughing because she could tell how nervous I was and that I couldn't believe that I called her by first and last name. And she asked what pose I wanted to do. And I said, listen, my friends went before me and I'm also very gay and I also love wild things like a lot. And I would love to do the wild things pose. And she goes, what is the wild things pose? And I was like, Nev, are you kidding it's your middle finger up, your tongue out, wiggling, like very much that. She does the pose. You guys saw it on Instagram. And then they kick you out. And I'm like, okay, bye, Nev Campbell, you know? So we run out. I'm freaking the fuck out. We're like giggling and going nuts and just like can't believe that it happened. But that was our first meet and greet with Nev, okay? So we walk around. Lots of things happen, you know, logistics, things. The lines were insane. And Ian has been to a bunch of these horror conventions and basically said, like, they're never organized. The people never know what they're doing. Um, it's never really, like, set up in a real great way. It's always, like, kind of a mess. A lot of it is very, like, luck of the draw. Like, you can wait in line for 10 hours and not meet the person, but then somebody who shows up 10 minutes ago will get a photo with them. Like, it's very, it's a mess. So Ian works some kind of crazy magic and gets us in because they were going to cut off the line. She'd been there all day. Like they were going to cut the line off. And somehow Ian spoke to a bunch of people and got us in line. We were the last people in line, basically. Not the very last, but pretty much for the day, which I think ended up working out in our favor. And I'll tell you about it in a minute. So we're hanging out in line. We were probably in line for like, I don't know, maybe four hours, three hours. I don't know how long it was. It was a very long time. We're like meeting people that we're sitting with, like connecting with people, adding people on Instagram. It was actually really fun. 
and we walk into the room. Now, this is just like a funny sidebar. If you've ever seen Nightmare on Elm Street Dream Warriors, like this will mean something to you. And if not, just give me like five minutes, okay? Please. This is all a lot for me. So the night before, I made Zach and Ian watch Dream Warriors because I wanted them to have it fresh in their minds. You know, I'm a movie bully. I, I wanted them to know the references and the things. I wanted it to be fresh in all of our minds for the next day. And it was. So we're in line. We walk into the room. And if you've ever seen Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, you know that there is a character named Taryn who very famously has a mohawk and little knives. And in her dreams, she's beautiful and bad. Taryn, who is my favorite character in that movie, walks up to the line and she's like, hey, like, are you guys <laughs> She's like, are you guys going to karaoke? Because they had this thing called, you know, whatever. And... I froze and didn't talk and Ian and Zach were trying to like cue me to speak and I was just smiling at her ear to ear not talking and she knew how nervous I was. I could feel like our energies were connecting. She was staring at me directly in my eyes. Ian and Zach can vouch for this. I'm not making this up. It's not my delusion. This woman was staring at me in my eyes directly talking to me but the group right? Cause she could tell I was so scared and I just smiled and didn't respond to her. And like Zach and Ian literally were being such good, like wingmen, like trying to get me to like have a connection with this woman. And I just couldn't do it. So she ends up walking away and they're both like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, why didn't you talk? And I just couldn't anyway. So we make our way up to Nev. You have the option of just getting the autograph on a table of photos that are pre-selected, right? We'll talk about the photos. Oh, we'll talk in great deal about the photos. Or you can do the autograph and also pay a little bit extra for a photo. And I would like to make it a point to say, I did look at Nev's money collection because <laughs> I was like, how much has this woman been making? This was a three-day event. There were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in line to meet her. It was like $80 for some people. If you waited until the last minute, it was like over 100 Nev Campbell walked out of that place with truly hundreds of thousands of dollars, and I'm not being sarcastic. So we get up to the photo table, and then it becomes, what photo do you choose? Because the photo alludes to the conversation what photo do you choose? I'll tell you the options. So we had a Scream 3 photo, classic Nev denim jacket. There was a Scream 2 photo, Nev on college, at the college campus, like talking to Dewey, gorgeous picture, Bob haircut, the whole thing. You had the Scream 3 picture, which is Nev in like the suede jacket with the, her Greek letters. She just got to the mansion. She's ready to fuck some shit up, right? The Scream 4 picture, I don't remember because it's my least favorite Scream and it didn't even cross my mind. Um, Scream 5, I don't remember if they even had press photos for that because I don't think, I don't think that there were Scream 5 photos, but there could have been. I may be wrong about that. They also had pictures of her as Bonnie from The Craft, a press photo where she's sitting with her legs crossed like on the ground in like full Bonnie drag. Um, a, there were two Wild Things photos. The one where she and Denise Richards are on the phone. 
the one of them like above the pool. And then there was one, I think, of her alone. I'm pretty sure like the one of her like sticking out her tongue and doing the middle finger, Susie working on her car next to the fucking swamp was one. And there was, I'm sure there was a few more. Like there was one from like the Lion King when she voiced um, whatever, you know, there were more. I chose Scream 2 because you guys know how I feel about Scream 2. <laughs> I, in my mind, have attached it to Britney in some manic, sick way where I'm like, that's Britney's Scream. I don't want to get into that. This is a light episode. So Zach and Ian go together. They tell Nev about the podcast. They take the photo together adorable i'm freaking the fuck out because i know it's my turn and this is really our moment right this is really the moment where nev and i are going to connect we're going to talk like even though it's a few minutes it's much more than earlier like this is like you know this is it so i walk up to the table and nev an empath could tell how nervous i was i was freaking out i had like a really plastered probably very menacing smile because i was so nervous that I don't know if I was genuinely smiling or if I just thought I'd better smile to hide how scared I am. And Nev was like signing and she put her hand out and touched her hand on my wrist and said, are you okay? She looked me so deeply into my eyes and asked me if I was okay. It was both the greatest moment in my life and also so fucking embarrassing because she could tell I was so nervous, you know? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm just, I'm freaking out. And I also, again, I had said, hi, Nev Campbell. And she was like, oh, like, I remember you from earlier <laughs> because you refer to me in my full name. And I was like, uh-huh. I was like, hi, Nev Campbell. But, uh, so she goes, well, what would you like for me to sign? And I slid her the picture of Scream 2. And I said, <laughs> I said, I'm a fighter feels appropriate for this picture right like that feels like the only thing that you should sign on this one and she was like "Ooh, I'm a fighter that's good and she goes I haven't signed that <sighs> listen for someone who's delusional and will take moments like that and turn it into we're friends baby <laughs> I always said Nev you better quit talking girl <laughs> You better quit flirting with me because I'm going to turn into a psychopath. She said she had never signed it. I don't know if she said she'd never signed it before or she hadn't signed it all day. But either way, I was like, fuck, yes, we're bonded. So as she's signing it, I go, Nev, I got to tell you something. <laughs> and she goes, what? And I was like, listen, I've been telling my friends all day and I tell people all the time that you have a signature pose and it's iconic. And if people know, they know. And if they don't, they don't. And that's just true tea. And she's like, what's the pose? And I go, it's, <laughs> I go, it's hand on forehead, looking forlorn. Like it's during stressful moments. And it's so great because in a still image, it's like gorgeous. It's literally gorgeous. It's so great. And she was like, I have never noticed that I did that. <laughs> so I may have ruined it. I may have actually ruined it for myself. She may stop doing it. I don't know. But she was like, I've never noticed that I do that. Now I'm going to, she was like, I'm going to like watch some old stuff and like see how often I do it. 
And I was like, you should. It's great. Like, it's so, it's, I was like, it's just iconic. And, uh, and yeah, and then we took the picture. I asked if we could take a selfie. She said yes. She also told me that she liked my phone case. So I'm never taking it off. And that is, yeah, that's the story of me meeting Nev Campbell. I will tell you that she was absolutely stunning. I'm not just saying this because it's her and that I love her. She was gorgeous in person. She looked exactly as you would hope she would look. She literally was like, it was like she was taken off of the screen and placed in person. Like exactly how you would think that she would look in person. And all of her Nev-isms were all there. It was all there. And she was an empath. I'm telling you, she was warm. She was very bright. She was so welcoming. She made every single person at that signing feel like a connection to her. I know it. Like, I was watching it happen. You know, she, like, hugged every person. She signed every autograph. She even made it a point to tell the staff, like, that no matter what, the people in line were going to get signatures. So they came out and told us, like, just so you guys know, Nev said no matter what, she'll sign what you have. And, like... It was just really, really, really cool. It was an experience that I will never forget. Um, I do want to go back next year. We've already been like doomsday prepping for next year and just like how much more prepared we'll be because we know how it all works and, you know, the setup and how early to get there and the things to buy and just like everything. So that is the story of how I met Nev Campbell. This episode, again, is just truly a love letter to Nev. I hope that you enjoyed this. We're 52 minutes in. I think I'm going to call it. I love you guys so much. And, um, yeah, bye. Thank you for listening to Dunzo. This podcast is a part of the Solid Listen Network. Please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. Also, be sure to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash solidlisten for exclusive content. You can follow me on Twitter at Troy McGee, and you can follow the podcast on all forms of social media at DunzoPod. That's D-U-N-Z-O. Thank you to executive producer Molly McAleer and coordinating producer Nicole Matthew. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.